What a wonderful morning of worship today. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, and we are in, ch we are in chapter number 10, and we are looking at a text that we read together in our call to worship this morning. And so uh, today we're in Hebrews chapter number 10. A couple of words I want to uh, share with you today uh, as before we get into the word. First of all, uh, Brother Jay, I don't think mentioned this, but uh, his grandmother passed away last night, Wilma Tonga. She was here every Sunday, sat right over there with Jay's mom, and she fell and had an injury, and she died last evening. So I want you to pray for Brother Jay and Kathy and their family and lift them before the Lord. Will you do that? All right. And so lift them. Her name was Wilma Tonga. And then a, uh, uh, this, uh, I want to thank everyone who helped with the funeral yesterday for Bonnie Glasscock. It was a sweet service. A former member of our church and former deacon in our church, Kenneth Kolb, passed away this week. And we'll be having the service uh, doing the funeral here in town. The Kolbs live in Virginia, but uh, the service will be here, and that will be on Friday at Richeson Funeral Home. So I just wanted to share that information with you today so that you can be in prayer for those families, okay? And so let's just pause right now and pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for these families. And Father, I thank you so much for the Kolb family, for your comfort. We ask for them. And then, Father, we pray for Brother Jay's family. And I lift up Kathy Carr to you and Jay. Father, I thank for Wilma and her life and her faith. And I pray that you might comfort them uh, in their grief today and their sorrow. Help us come alongside them, encourage them, help them, support them during these uh, moments. Now, Father, we've come to hear your word and ask that you would speak to our hearts through your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are in here today, and I'm going to ask all the men of our church to please stand. I want to acknowledge you. And uh, <clears throat> I thank the Lord for you, men. And I thank the Lord for your, your leadership in your home, your family, in our church, in our community, in our society. And I thank God for your faith in Jesus Christ, and I pray that you'll live for him and stay strong to the end, all right, and love the Lord, and uh, God bless you guys, and uh, I thank the Lord for you, amen, you can be seated, all right. I was thinking about my dad today and some of the lessons that he taught me in life, and he taught me that there are certain privileges that have responsibilities. Did your dad ever have that talk with you? that there are certain privileges you have in life, but there are also responsibilities go with it. I remember when I was 16 years old and I'd finished my driver's course at school and I had passed my driver's test. And I remember when my father, who had taken me on many drives with him, and uh, he let me borrow the keys to his car. Just because I had the privilege of a driver's license they came with responsibility if I was going to drive his car. Amen. One week later, I was cruising around town, 16 years old, 
The fun thing that we did back in the ancient days in our small town is we just cruised up around the square and down to Dairy Queen and back and over to Hardee's and back around and just, I don't waste good gas all night long. That's what we did. And so there was a girl walking down the sidewalk and I was driving dad's big car and honked and waved. I'd stopped and got a milkshake at the Dairy Queen. It was between my legs. There was no cup holder in those days. And when I looked up, there were nothing but brake lights. Bam! I hit the car. When I opened my eyes through the milkshake that was coming through my face, I saw my, the hood of the car bent like this. <clears throat> this is before cell phone days, but anyway, I had to explain that whole scenario to my dad and suffer another lecture about privileges and responsibilities. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, the Bible talks, gives us, it is God's inspired word. It speaks to us who God is, how God acts, how, what God wills, the way that God works, and who we are as a part of his creation how we have acted and the consequences of it, and how he has loved us and how he has saved us. When we read the Word of God, it not only teaches us theology, a study about God, and gives us, but it gives us an ethic, is the way that we are to live our lives in light of who God is. God's Word's not just information about who he is, but instruction about how we're to live. It's not just profession, it's practice. It's not just belief, but behavior. It's about living this Christian life. And as we look into the 10th chapter of Hebrews, notice the teaching here about some, what God has done and then how we are to live. In verse number 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more, as you see the day, approaching. As we look into this text of scripture, I want us to think about some of the glorious blessings that God has given us. We have, we have been gloriously blessed since we have been gloriously blessed. In what ways have we been gloriously blessed? First of all, we have been saved by Jesus Christ. And where that is not a work that we accomplished we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't make it happen. It was God's work in us, for by grace 
have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. Amen. Now notice with me in chapter number 10, in ver uh, chapter number 10, in verse number 10, it says, By this will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It says we've been sanctified. That's another word for being saved. We've been made holy is what he's saying. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And Jesus came to make us holy. And so we've been sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, Jesus Christ did the redeeming, sanctifying work for us. We could never make ourselves holy, but we needed the Holy One to make us holy. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, the just one died for the unjust ones so that he might bring us to God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 24, listen to what the scripture says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. And in chapter number three, verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put into debt, to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You see, once you were not a people, but now you've become the people of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, you're a chosen race, that's who you are, a royal priesthood, that's who you are, a holy nation, that's who you are, a people for his own possess possession. I like the King James says, you're his peculiar people, Amen. and boy, you are peculiar. That means you're his own possession so that you might proclaim the praises of him who one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you're God's people. You not, once did not receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. This is an amazing thought. You are the children of God. And so he has called us to live this holy life. He's made us holy, separate, different, his people. And Christ is the one who's done this work, not you. Notice back with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 11. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time that can never take away sin. But this man, Jesus after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's waiting until his enemies may made his footstool. For by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are sanctified. I'm telling you, it was a perfect sacrifice for our salvation, and Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You know what? He did it once for all, once for all time. 
Jesus doesn't die many, many times for your sins. He died once and he did away with your sin and he paid for it in full. When Christ cries out from the cross, it is finished. And our sin was paid for. And he's entered into the holy place. And he's sat down at the right hand of God. He's not up ministering. He's finished his work. And he has redeemed us. Secondly, God has changed our hearts. Boy, you needed your heart changed and I need my heart changed. In chapter number 10, verse 16, it says, This is the covenant I will make with him after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Wow. You see, now the law of God is no longer on tablets. This is the full fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah. He says the law is not on tablets before us. The law is not a book over us. The law is written on our hearts and our minds. We have the mind of Christ. God has done a work in us. He has changed our heart. This is what it means to be born again, born from above. Whenever God did this saving work in you, he did heart surgery inside of you. He changed your heart. He's written his law on your heart. And that law is to love God and to love your, one another. And he's written that not only in your heart, but into your mind. That you want to love God. And you want to love others. And you want to obey God. And to serve him. And God has written this on your heart. Yesterday, at Bonnie's memorial service, Joe gave a testimony about his mother. I talked with Joe just before this service. And I, I said, Joe... You know, there were so many people prayed for you. And just, he said, Pat, Brother Tim, it's just two years ago, almost two years ago to the date, I had a transplant and a new heart put in my chest. They took my old diseased heart out and they put another man's heart in my chest. He said, that is quite amazing. I, Joe, I said, Joe, that is amazing. It reminds me of a picture I saw years ago in the Houston Chronicle. And it was a picture of a woman leaning down, listening with a stethoscope to another man's chest. And the article was, a, she, it says, that the caption on the picture was listening to my son's heart. This man had received the heart of the woman's son. And she was in the hospital of the heart recipient. And she was listening to her son's heart beating in another man's chest. Wow. I think that's what the Holy Spirit of God wants to hear in us when he listens to our heart, that he might hear the heart of his son Amen. beating in our chest. Amen. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. 
may I live like you. Amen? Amen. This is what God's done for us. That's a work of God. Thirdly, we have confident access to God. Notice in verse number 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. We have boldness to enter the sanctuary. Now, let's talk about that for just a moment. Just imagine with me that there's a Moabite man, and he's standing in the ancient days, overlooking from his heights on a mountain down to the valley below where the Israelites are encamped. And they looks at all of the tents of the multitude of the Israelites. He sees there the outstanding tabernacle, a tent of meeting where the children of Israel gathered to worship. This Moabite, is, he's interested in Yahweh and the worship of Yahweh, and he's interested in the Israelites and their worship. So he descends and walks amongst the tents until he comes to that sacred enclosure surrounding the tabernacle itself. There is a high wall of dazzling linen described in the Old Testament. As he walks around it, he sees an opening to the enter of the tent of the meeting, and there a gatekeeper stands. And he says, may I go in there and look about? And he says, who are you? He said, well, I'm a man from Moab. And he says, well, I'm sorry, you cannot go in there. It's not for you. And the law of Moses has barred Moabites from any part to the 10th generation in the worship of Israel. The Moabite is sad. He looks at the man. He says, well, what would I have to do to go in that tent of meeting? He said, well, you'd have to be born again. You'd have to be born an Israelite from one of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Judah, or the tribe of Iskar, or the tribe of Dan, or the tribe of Benjamin. But you're not a part of one of the tribes. You're not a part of the Israelites. And sadly, the Moabite man looks at him and he says, man, I wish I'd been born an Israelite or one of the tribes of Israel. And he looks through the opening in the door and he sees a priest there. And the priest is making an offering at the brazen altar. And then he sees him washing himself in the brazen laver. And, and then he goes into one of the inner rooms in the tabernacle. And this Moabite man says, what's inside there? Where is he going in that interior room? He says, oh, that's, that's the tabernacle of the Lord. And inside there is a room and it contains a lampstand and a table and an altar of gold. And the priest will trim the lamp and he'll eat the showbread and he'll burn the incense of prayers to the living God. He said, man, I wish I was an Israelite. I'd go in there and I would go and see and worship God in that holy place and trim the lamps with them and offer incense and prayers with them and eat at that holy table. He said, oh, no, buddy. 
No, you wouldn't. I can't even do that. He said, it's not enough just to be born an Israelite, but you've got to be from the tribe of Levi and part of the family of Aaron to do that. And he goes, oh, man, I wish I'd been born of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron. And gazing at the door, he said, what's inside there? He said, there's a veil. It's a thick and beautiful veil from top to bottom. And it splits the tabernacle in half. And beyond it is the Holy of Holies. The most holy place. And the Moabite man says, well, what's inside there? He said, inside there is a chest. It's a sacred box. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that chest are memorials that are important to us in our past. Manna, the laws of God written on tablets of stone. And he says there's a gold lid that's been hammered over the top of it. And there are angels that have been fashioned in one piece, cherubim, and their wings are touching each other. And it's called the mercy seat. He said, look with me. The guard looks at the Moabite man and says, look up there. You see that cloud over the tent of meeting? He said, yes. Well, that cloud descends into the holy of holies. And meets us at the mercy seat. He said, oh, if I were only a priest, I'd love to go into that holy of holies. Gaze upon God and worship him in the beauty of holiness. <laughs> oh, no, buddy. You don't understand. You couldn't do that even if you were just a priest. You see, you've got to be a high priest to go beyond the veil. Not just any priest. And the Moabite man cries out, Oh, if only I'd been born an Israelite. If only I'd been born of the tribe of Levi. If only had I been born in the family of Aaron. If only I had been born a high priest, then I would love to go into the Holy of Holies and gaze upon God and worship Him. I'd go in there every day. I'd go in there three times a day. I'd just go in there all the time and gaze on the beauty of God. He said, you don't understand anything, do you? The high priest only goes in there once a year. And he has to make thorough preparation about his own sin and the sins of God's people before he enters that holy place with fear and trembling to gaze on the glory of God. Wow. And the most amazing thing 
is chapter number 10, verse 19. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, we, all of us, have boldness to enter, and the word sanctuary is holy of holies, to enter the holy of holies through the blood of Jesus. Woo! That's an amazing thing. What a great salvation God has given us. We have access into the very throne room of God. But how is that access secured? It is secured through Jesus Christ alone. Verse 20, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is through his flesh. Jesus Christ secured for us an access to God because when Jesus died, he fulfilled the law of God. He was the perfect man dying for an imperfect man, men. He was the perfect sacrifice. He did not, it was not the blood of bulls and goats because they could never take away sin, but it was the Lamb of God, the sinless Son of God. He died in our place, the perfect one, and his blood is a pure blood, and he died for us on Calvary's cross, and atonement has been made for our sins, and the veil, when Jesus died, he cried, it is finished, then the veil in the temple was rent, meaning it was torn asunder so the opening and access would be to the Holy of Holies. The flesh, the veil of his flesh means that Christ's own body was rent so as God punished him and our judgment fell on him. God's judgment fell on him that we deserved. Christ's rent body opens the access so I can have entrance into the holy place of God. Wow. You have been blessed. Tell your neighbor, we've been blessed. Not only that, we've got a high priest. But the high priest is Jesus Christ. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. He made atonement by his blood. He bears our names on his heart and his shoulders and his mouth. And he prays for us in the very presence of the Father. What an amazing thought. Christ is praying for you today. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is praying for you today. My, what an amazing thought. So if these things are true, then how should I live my life? I'm glad you asked. That's the second part of this sermon. Notice in verse number 22, 
Notice these phrases begin with let us. All of us, we, together. Let us draw near to God with sincerity of heart, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How do you draw near to God? Draw near to God, the Bible says in James 4, and he will draw near to you. So how do you do this? First of all, repent of your sin. You're not going to draw near to God with unconfessed sin in your life. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that if our beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The reason we don't boldly and with confidence draw near to God is because we're not honest about the sin in our life. When you're living sinfully, when you're living willfully, when you're living selfishly, when you're living and disobediently to God, then you don't approach God with confidence. Because the first item that needs to be dealt with is the sin in our life. And so that's why we want to enter, draw near with sincerity, with a true heart. And that means we confess our sins. Now, folks, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need to be honest with our sins. The word confess is the word homologio. It means, homo means same, right? Logio means to say. And so confession means to say the same thing. To say the same thing that God says about our sin. And say, God, this behavior, this attitude, this thing that I've done, you say it's sin, and I agree with you. It is sin. And I want to confess it and repent of it. Secondly, we draw near to God when we depend upon him. And that's what it means to abide in Christ, to depend upon him, to listen to him, spend time with him, to obey him, to learn of him. This week I went to the Southern Baptist Convention and there were many highlights of the week. And despite what the news media would report or the negative bloggers would report or what Twitter might say, there was many, many wonderful things. And one of the great highlights was 79 new missionaries were appointed for the mission field. Amen. Praise the Lord. And time and time again, when they said, how can you pray for us as we get ready to go to the mission field? They kept repeating this line, pray that we will abide in Christ. Draw near to God. Abide in him. Now, what causes a distance when we don't spend time with the Lord, less time? When we're not honest in the relationship, dishonesty. When we're filled with envy or distrust or jealousy. These things erode closeness with God. But he says, draw near to God. Then, 
secondly, he says, let us look with us in, in verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. It says, hold tight to your confession of hope. It doesn't say your confession of faith. It says your confession of hope. Now, what causes us to waver? He says, hold tight without wavering. What causes us to waver? Sometimes we waver when we're fatigued. Sometimes we waver when we get filled with fear. We get our eyes on the circumstances and think that God's not going to take care of us. And so we begin to waver in our faith and lose hope. We are told in the scripture, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus tells us, in this world you'll have trouble, but don't fear, I have overcome the world. The scripture says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they do comfort me. Jesus is our good shepherd. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he who promised is faithful. And what has he promised? He promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised I will come and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He has promised that he is coming again. He has promised and he is not, he is not forgotten his promises. He is not reneging on his promises. God is a very present help. God has said, fear not, little flock, for the Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. He delights in you having the kingdom. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they do follow after me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. He who promised is faithful. That ought to encourage your heart. Thirdly, let's stir one another up. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Notice what he says in verse 24. Let us consider, think about one another. In order to do what? Provoke love and good works. Now, that's the Christian standard Bible says to provoke. Your version may say stir up. Or your version may say stimulate. It means to turn one another on to love and good deeds. Does anybody ever punch your buttons, push your buttons? Do you ever push anybody else's buttons? I've been married a long time. And I know where some of the buttons are. And she knows where some of my buttons are. And we can stimulate one another to anger and frustration. Or we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 
We need to start pushing each other's buttons in this church. Not with gossip, not with negativity, not with criticism, but to love and good works. And that's where we need to use all of your personalities to stir up, to in, not to cast doubt, not to be critical, not to be judgmental, not to sow seeds of jealousy or envy or discord. You'll give an account for every one of those words. Amen. But let your words be seasoned with grace and love and the salt to love and good deeds. Amen? Next, we need to faithfully meet together. Notice what it says, verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as the habit of some are doing, but encouraging each other. We need to be faithful in our attendance, in worship and Bible study. Amen? Because we need each other. Tell your neighbor, we need each other. We do. How faithful are you? How faithful are you in your worship attendance? In your Bible study attendance? In your community group attendance? How faithful really are you? How are you investing in others? Did you know that community group needs you? You need them, but they need you. And when you're not there, it hurts them. It hurts the body of Christ. But it hurts you. One old boy had been laying out of church years and years and years ago. He laid out of church, didn't go, and been lazy. Somebody did some little something that got him sideways. Preacher went to visit him one night. They greeted each other at the door, and he was sitting in front of the fireplace. The pastor sat down, and they visited about a couple things. As the fire was burning, the pastor went over and, with tools at the fireplace, grabbed one of the logs and just kind of pulled it off to the side onto the hearth. And he sat back down. They talked for a little while, and pretty soon that log quit glowing, and then it quit smoldering, and then it got cold. The preacher said, we sure do miss you at the church, and the church misses you, but you're missing the church. The man confessed that his heart wasn't warm toward God like it had been. The preacher went over and took the same tool and he moved it onto the fire and it became a glow. He looked at the man. The man looked at him and he said, I understand. I'll see you Sunday. Finally, he says, encourage one another. 
If there's one thing that we need in this world is encouraging one another. Amen? Amen. Notice what he says. Encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is approaching? The day of the Lord. So as the day of the Lord and the day of judgment is coming and the day that this world is winding up and Christ is coming and evil is abounding, yes it is, but let's encourage one another. Exhort one another. Build one another up in our holy faith. Celebrate with one another. Thank one another. Coach one another up. My grandmother was a great coacher. She never used the word coach, but she was a coacher. I remember as a boy, she'd say, Tim, let's go down to the garden and pick some beans. Awesome. So we went down to the garden, we picked a bunch of beans. And then we'd come back and sit in the backyard. Y'all know what I'm talking about under a shade tree, and we're going to snap beans. And those string beans, you had to pull the strings off the side of them, too. She said, Grandma, she said, Boy, Tim, I like the way you snap those beans. You do them just, just the right length. And boy, you do such a good job getting those ends off and stringing those. Made me so proud. I'm snapping beans. And then later she said, we need to peel some potatoes. I said, Grandma, you think I could peel potatoes? She said, I had a pocket knife. No, that knife won't do. But she had one of her sharper knives. She said, don't you cut yourself. Your mama skinned me. I said, all right. And so I'd start peeling potatoes. Well, I'm sure I was cutting way too much off. She said, oh, I like how thin you cut that skin off of there. And that just made me all the more wanted to make that just right. And then when we were eating supper, she looked over my grandpa and winked, and she said, aren't these the best green beans you've ever eaten? Tim helped me make these. Aren't these some of the best potatoes? Woo, they're good. Tim helped me peel these. She was encouraging me. What if we did that in our church? Instead of criticizing, instead of laying negative things out there, what if we blessed each other and encouraged each other, bragged on each other, loved on each other, with one eye looking to Jesus, who's coming again? If we've been blessed, and we have, then let's live this way Amen. for the glory of God. Yes, Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful. It is true. Instructive. Father, help us to order our lives according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me.